Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. There's a very interesting book that I was reading called Collapse by a man called Jared Diamond. And in the book, he recounts the history of several civilizations, and then he talks about why those civilizations collapsed. One of them, he talks about a place called Easter Island, that's off the coast of Chile, where once there were 15,000 people living there, the, the Moai people lived there, and all that's left of the Moai today are the statues on Easter Island. There are some 887 magnificent statues, 90 tons they each weigh. And so there was an advanced civilization living there. The people were creative. But he describes how the civilization collapsed. He said what they did was on that island is they cut down the trees and they used all the trees on the island to build their homes, to build places to live. And in the end, they had no wood even to use for fishing rods, to use for spears to defend themselves. Well, as a result of cutting down the trees and uh, removing all the wood, the soil began to erode so they couldn't even farm because the soil was being blown away and eroded because of a lack of trees. Not only did that happen, because the trees were gone, there were no plants on the ground, the birds left. And so as a result, the Moai people, having depleted all their resources, they began to now turn on each other and they resorted to cannibalism. They ate each other. When the Dutch arrived uh, in 1722, they say there were only 111 out of 15,000 Moai people left. They had committed what they call ecocide, a term that they coined after that event. And when you read the story, you realize, if you think about it deeply enough, we're in danger of doing that again in our world. Not as many think, though, oh, yes, if we destroy the trees and the plants, not from the green point of view. We're very focused on that. But from the point of view that if we use up all our resources and we have nothing left and we are in debt, if you like, we end up turning on one another, especially in the home where finances can be a real issue, we can turn on each other in the country and start blaming different groups of people, and we can end up becoming an angry society because we have depleted our own resources and it's our own fault. Am I making sense? How many of you have noticed that even first world countries are in recession? They're having frequent recessions. Property prices across the world are stagnant, not just in South Africa. I was chatting to someone from London who told me that their property that they're living in has depreciated by over 300,000 pounds. It's, it's a world trend because economies are not good. And people are struggling with their resources. And one of the things that we don't manage well is we don't manage our money well. The reason we don't manage our money well is not just because we spend, it's because we often are not taught money management in school. Neither have we been taught money management in most of the homes because most parents aren't managing their money well so they can't teach their children. So I want to begin a series for the next few weeks on speaking about managing our money. Managing our money. And under that heading, I'm going to deal with several topics. I'm going to deal with the wisdom of managing money, myths about money, and in a moment I'll give you the title of today's message. But I want to speak a little bit more about money. Already some people are bristling 
in the room. It's a thorny subject. They said, they're saying in their minds, they're saying in their minds, if I had known, I may have stayed home today. I heard there was a new series. I need to look more deeply when I hear about these new series. Because money is a thorny subject. But yet, all our daily activities center around making money. No one goes to work for the sake of going to work. You don't just go to work and say, I need something to pass the time. No, the end goal is money. All the arts, music, products, the world consists of industry and jobs and products. Why? The end goal is making money. And there's nothing wrong with making money. We need it. We just need to know how to manage it. And we need to know how to manage it biblically. See, the Jews have taught their children from young, from the Bible. That's why the Jews are often attacked and people resent them because they know the biblical principles of managing money. But we criticize them. We call them stingy. We even label people Jewish when they, when they tight with money. And we fail to look at the Bible ourselves. And we're very silly. They're God's people. He has blessed them, but they follow biblical principles. Most people don't know this about money, but one-fifth of all Jesus' teaching in the New Testament is on money and stewardship. Yet most churches prefer to avoid it. They're afraid to, to, to deal with the subject, lest they're criticized. But money is a very important topic. In fact, Jesus spoke about money and possessions in, in, in many, many places. And in the whole Bible, there are more than 2,350 verses on money and possessions. Two-thirds of the scriptures speak about stewardship. Did you know that that's three times more than it speaks about love? That is seven times more than it speaks about prayer, and eight times more than it speaks about believers or believing. Yet we've kind of got a weird idea about money. Isn't that true? And we almost feel like, what's going on? But Solomon in the Old Testament teaches us this. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. He says, laughter and bread go together and wine gives sparkle to life. Don't take that too seriously. <laughs> but it's money that makes the world go round. Isn't that the truth? So Christians are part of living in this world. We need to know how to use our money. And we need to be well educated on biblical money management. Can I say this to you this morning? The devil does not want you to manage your money well because he knows if you do, you'll be in peace. You'll have more joy and more freedom that you've ever had. So if he can keep you in bondage, maybe he can't keep you in bondage to some particular sin or some particular drug or to sex or to porn or whatever it is, but if he can get you bound with your money, he's got you depressed. He's got the joy of the Lord out of your life and he's got you living miserable. It's very, very important. And especially in South Africa, I was reading a survey done in 2018 and uh, they spoke about household debt. If you took the household debt and you averaged it across our country, 71.9% of our income, each of us, is spent on debt. Two-thirds of what we get is spent on debt. Now, that's not everybody, but that's the average. And they were saying 64% of couples in South Africa surveyed argue over money. That's more than half the married couples in this building and on the other campus are arguing about money. Don't say amen because we'll know who you are. <laughs> and they say 54% of couples who got divorced, who were surveyed, said they got divorced over money issues. In fact, this is the phrase they use, till debt us do part. Now, did you know the savings rate of people in the world, across the world, is the lowest it's been in 60 years? 
People are spending more than they're saving, which is a fearful thing. 5.5 million people in America are addicted to gambling. 5.5 million, that's massive. And there are 1 million bankruptcies in America every single year. That's amazing. In a recent report by First National Bank, they said that middle-income South Africans, that's people earning between 7,000 and 60,000 rand a month, that's middle-income South Africans, they said that they use up their salary in less than five days after being paid. That's a scary thought. And when they researched further, the data showed that the main culprits for this was 50% of the salary already went to debt payments and to micro lenders or store cards. Be careful of store cards. You buy things and later on you're paying for them. This is what happens with a credit card or a store card. You're paying for something now that you used in your past. Now you should be spending money on your future. Are you hearing me? And there's a great danger when we're living with current expenses of something in the past. I often go and buy at uh, Woolworths, and often when you put your card in the machine, it asks straight or budget. I'm thinking, are you serious? We're buying food, and you're putting it on budget, charging interest on something that's going to be gone in a day. Some are guilty in the room. That's why there's the nervous giggle. <laughs> Come on our church, we need wisdom from God. And I'm here to help you live your day-to-day -day life. Church is not an event, but it's life preparation. Isn't that true? And if we don't think about these things, we will never grow strong and walk in victory. And it's important today that we understand. And uh, Jesus taught 40, or, or spoke about 40 parables, or taught 40 parables. Let me say that again. Jesus taught some 40 parables, but 16 of them were on money. And one of them he taught on was about money management. And when he used this parable, people were shocked. They, what? Because he used a bad person to bring about a good lesson. Isn't that interesting? You see, everything in life has got a lesson. Those who fail teach you something. And those who live as unsaved can even teach us. So I want us to look at this parable this morning. And in a moment, I'll give you the title of the message. I think you thought I forgot. Luke chapter 16, a good lesson from a bad example we're going to read. And Jesus speaking to his disciples here is really speaking to us. It says, Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. The rich man is God in the parable, and the manager is us. We own nothing. Everything we have is stewarded on God's behalf. So he called him and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer the manager said to himself what shall I do now my master is taking away my job I'm not strong enough to dig I'm ashamed to beg I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here people will welcome me into their houses in other words in the future I'm preparing my future verse Five, so he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe? My master, 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450, 50% discount. Man, that sounds like South Africa. Then he asked the second, 
and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800, 20% discount. What a clever man. Now watch, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now he says something staggering. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Really? Come on now, church, let's think about this. Is he saying that unsafe people are cleverer than us? That's what he's saying. Because he's saying unsafe people, you know what they do? They spend their lives looking to make money to look after their immediate future. This year, this month, next year, or their retirement. But he's saying something else here, and I want us to take a moment. Let's keep reading. Are you with me this morning? He says now, gives us advice from this bad person. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. He's saying, hey, don't just go to work every day and earn money and spend it on your next bit of future, but think long-term about eternity. I mean, you know, we're living in the world today, and if you live to the age of 90 or even 100, it's only that much of eternity. Imagine one centimeter of, of, of 200,000 kilometers. I mean, it's, it's a speck. But we live as though every day and this month is important. We need to think eternally. And our money mustn't just be used for now. It has to be used for eternal purpose as well. Are you with me? Now let's unpack this because there's much more wisdom in here that we need to glean. He says here, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, money, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No, one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word money there in, in uh, Matthew's gospel has got a capital M because it's a God. And he's saying you can't have two masters. And so Jesus here is using a bad example to teach us a good lesson. He's saying, hey, the unsaved know how to think about their future and they're super diligent at making money. In fact, they're very shrewd and crafty. They'll even use fraud. But God's people don't understand that they mustn't just use their money for now. They need to use their money for eternity because that's where they're going to really spend their lives. And he says, if you can't be trusted with little, you can't be trusted with someone else's money, who's going to trust you with your own? Now, let me just remind you, your tithe is not your own. So if you can't be trusted to give God his tithe, why should he bless you with more? Hmm? And here we learn that money can either be our servant or our master. So let me speak to you. In this message today, I've entitled it money, servant, or master. Because money either has power over you or it gives power to you. Isn't that true? When it's your master, it rules you. When it's your servant, you rule it. And we must realize that every one of us is a manager of our money, not an owner of our money. And that we ought to be faithful with it. So Francis Bacon he was Lord Chancellor and a great scientist in Great Britain, said this, money is a great servant, 
but a bad master. When you use it and it serves you, it's wonderful, but if it rules you, oh gosh, your joy is gone. Your life becomes difficult. And I want to unpack just five things from it this morning. Let's have a look at five things about money, servant or master. Are you ready? Are you ready in Kalami? They are clapping and cheering. <laughs> so number one, money reveals the true condition of our hearts. You can tell whether money is a servant or the master of someone's life just by talking to them. Talk about money, ask for money, try and raise money, and you'll quickly see what's inside a person's heart. Isn't that true? In fact, some already in the meeting have got arms folded, and I'm not looking at anyone in particular. But we can get that, yeah, yeah, I've heard about these churches. And if you're visiting today, let me just tell you, across our campuses, I haven't spoken on money as a subject for over five years. I've written a book on it, but we've not spoken on it. And it's an important part of the diet of a church. Can you say amen? Because you're dealing with money every single day. It's, I have an obligation to teach you correct money management, biblical money management. And you can assess how much a heart a person has for God the minute you talk about money. Or when it comes to offering time, people almost become angry. The spiritual maturity of a person can be assessed as to how they respond to giving, to giving of tithes and offerings. You can see where their heart is. If you want to know someone's values, just sit down and talk to them for 10 minutes. I can tell a lot by not even talking to you. Just give me your bank statement and I'll tell you where your heart is. Because Jesus said this in Matthew's gospel, he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't tell me, oh, I love the poor. Show me your bank statement. Oh, I love the church. Show me your bank statement. Are you spending more on a car than you're spending on giving to God? It's okay, but you see, we don't associate money with our hearts. We associate it with spending, but God looks at it differently because either it's a God in your life or it's a servant in your life. Either it's your master, or it's your servant. Am I making sense? You can tell the size of a congregation's faith and vision. Talk about money, talk about buying more buildings. People, what? Others go, amen, yes, let's do that. You can tell whether money's a servant or a master. And we've gotta to come to the place where we don't react fearfully, where we don't become offended, where we don't become critical, because our heart is with God. If you're asked to tithe, do you, what tithing's Old Testament? I saw on the internet. Now the internet is God. There's money and then there's the internet. No, no, no. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, surely you should do what he wants and your heart should be tuned towards God. Isn't that true? People say, I've given, I've given my heart to Jesus, but I can't give my money. No, no, you give, you give your life every day at work for a salary. So if you can't give your salary, it means you actually can't give your life. Because your life converted into money, you spent the month converting it into money. Now, if you can't give the money, it means you can't give your life. See, Jesus is either Lord of our lives or he's not. And if Jesus is Lord, money can't be our master. Can you say amen? <laughs> pastor Richard Helverson, he's passed away now, but he said a lot of wise things. He said, Jesus Christ said more about money than about any other single thing because when it comes to a man's real nature, money is of first importance. 
Money is an exact index to a man's true character. Quite a statement. So money reveals the true condition of our heart. Number two, money has no personality, but it is a God. How strange is that? Did you know money doesn't have a personality of its own? It takes on the personality of the user. Now, a lot of people mistakenly say this, oh, money is evil. No, no, can I say this to you on both campuses? We could take five minutes in this meeting. If you really believe money is evil, we could take five minutes for you to take it all out of your pockets and bring it to the platform. <laughs> Anyone like to do that this morning? I thought not. But somehow we think money is evil. No, money does not have a personality. It has no morality. Money is neutral. It takes on the persona of the owner. Now, let me just remind you, Paul writing to Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, that's not earning money, it's like loving it, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money is when you're mastered by it, when it's your master, it rules you. But we need to work for money, so you, you say, well, am, am I eager for money? Everyone's eager for a salary. Of course they are, but this is a different kind of thing. See, it's the love of money, not money itself. Let me explain it to you like this. If a drug dealer is selling drugs on the street and he's making lots of money from that money, uh, from, from the drugs, he's making a lot of money from the drugs. Now, he brings that money into his account and he then goes to a Christian car dealer and he buys a car because now he's really doing well. He thinks he deserves, man, I, I deserve it. So he goes to the car dealer and the car dealer doesn't say to him, where did you get the money from? The car dealer gives him the car, and the car dealer takes the money. Now that car dealer, if he's a Christian, will tithe on it, and if he's a real Christian, he'll give offerings. <laughs> Just letting that sink in. And he'll bring that money to God. And some Christians will say, you shouldn't take money from the unchurched. No, no, we'll take any money. Money can be redeemed. As soon as it changes hands, it changes personality. Because what that church will do with that money, like we do, is we'll take that money and use it to help kids who've been affected by drugs. See, in the hands of a godly person, it does good. In the hands of an evil person, it does evil. But don't call money evil, because if you do, you'll never be able to acquire it and use it. And it will end up being your master. Does that make sense? But it can be a God that you serve, because it gets control over your life, and people serve money. Let me give you an example from one of my own books called Money Matters. And uh, I want to read you an excerpt. It's not on the screen. And this is what I've written about some years ago. Every day, casinos are packed with people hoping to strike it lucky and become rich. They mistakenly imagine that then their problems will be over. They are trusting in a system that is designed to get money out of them to give money to them. Isn't that ridiculous? People sit at tables and slot machines wishing and believing that Lady Luck, whoever she might be, might smile on them. It's kind of a belief and a trust in something out there rather than the living God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. See, people are believing in Lady Luck. They're hoping for their luck to turn, for the lotto, for, 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 to get a lucky break. And we're so material focused that we think material things will give us an identity and make us happy. 
Never use material things to give you an identity. You have your identity in Christ. People want money so that they can make something of themselves. No, no, money doesn't make you. Don't use a car to try and make you somebody. Just be somebody. Don't try and use a handbag to make you somebody. We don't think less of you because you bought a handbag that was made in China. Because all the designers have their handbags made in China anyway. And we don't know whether it's genuine or not. We're not impressed by that. We're impressed by people's character, not by their possessions. Can I encourage you, don't spend money on all these brands. Put money into things that matter. Don't, don't buy on your credit card something that you have to pay for that is in your past. No, invest money into your future. Put it into things that matter. Can you say amen? It's getting very quiet in this Methodist church this morning. You see, you've got to be very careful in, when you're caught up in things. As soon as you start earning money, you're going to buy all the things you thought that you, you, you were deprived of. How many of you watched the movie American Gangster? Very interesting movie, story of Frank Lucas, who was the top black drug dealer in America. No one thought a black man could do it, but he made $50 million in those days, in the 70s, he made $50 million from bringing in 98% pure heroin from Bangkok in the coffins of soldiers that were killed in the East. And he made a fortune. He became super rich. And he brought his brothers in and he brought his family in. And, and, and they were living the high life. And, and Denzel Washington, if you watch the movie, he plays the part of Frank Lucas. He gets hold of one of his brothers one day because he, his brothers start sniffing cocaine and drinking and living the high life. And they start wearing these outfits. Like when you see them, they're like the hat, the shoes. They could buy anything they wanted. And he walks up to one of his brothers and he makes the statement. He says this, the loudest one in the room is the weakest. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, if you dress like that from drug money, guess what? You're going to stand out like a sore thumb and the cops are going to home in on you because they're going to know you didn't earn that money because no one who earns money dresses like that. Can I just remind, can I just remind you? This is, this is a generalization, but it's true by and large. People who have lots of money, you don't know it. A guy wrote a book called The Millionaire Next Door. Why? Because people with real money don't waste it on stupid stuff. People who don't have money try and impress you. That's why they're in debt. So they wear branded clothing so that you can know. Some people even buy suits and they leave the stitched on label on the arm. It's like, it's like you're supposed to take that off. I don't let you know. So you go boss. No, no. You can't let money make you into somebody. You become your God. And he warns him, he says to him, the, 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 the loudest one in the room is the weakest. And it ends up quite amazing. What happens to Frank Lucas is this. His wife goes and buys him a mink coat and a hat. It was very cold in New York City in the winter. And he, she get, he gets it for his birthday. And guess what? He, he breaks his own rule. He wears it to a fight between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. And at that fight, detectives are watching to see if the Italian mafia is there because they were homing in on the Italian mafia. They never thought a black man could be the one making, that, uh, making so much money. And at that fight, they fingered him. Who's that guy dressed like that? And they homed in him and they say that was the turning point and that was the downfall of Frank Lucas. So here's the point. If you're living in South Africa today, 
does it, is, is it wise to wear a Rolex watch and to dress up and to make yourself the loudest one in the room just because you're wanting to impress people? No, you're going to end up the victim of criminals. It's better to drive an older car. It's better to live less lavish and to put the money into your bond. Yeah, put your money in the bond. Then when you need it, you can draw it out. But we spend it on stuff that's frivolous to impress people who don't care. I was recently given a jacket as a gift, a Calvin Klein, and it's got this big badge on the back. And I was thinking, I wear this in church, and everyone from behind would be like, okay, Pastor Andre, is Calvin Klein. No, I have to cut the darn thing out. But it was a gift. But we can be caught up in trying to create a persona for ourselves when Christ should be our identity and money should be used wisely. Is this helping you this morning? Is this making sense to you? It might be painful, but it's true. I read a good book, which I think you should read. It's called Stop Acting Rich by Thomas J. Stanley. He wrote a book called The Millionaire Next Door. He's written some phenomenal books. He's passed away, but this is what he says. He says, those who are not rich typically hyperspend on luxury, thinking it makes you happy. But he said the happiest people live below their means. You know, there's nothing better than getting to the end of the month and still having money left over. And then going, gee, what should we do with this? Into the bond. And the bond goes down. I tell you, the joy of the Lord will come very quickly into your life. But most of us, when we get to the end of the month, we have more month than money. And God is wanting to help us. How to manage our money. Because if you're faithful, listen to me, with little, you'll be faithful with much. If you're foolish with little, don't think that when you earn more, it will be better off. You won't. You'll be just as foolish with much. If you're stingy with little, you'll be stingy with much. We need to understand that money can become a God and it takes on the personality. Money becomes who you are and we need to be redeemed and we need to live correctly. Can you say amen? Number three, no one who is financially bound can be spiritually free. See, that's why it talks about money with a capital M because mammon is a God that can rule you and it can get a grip on you. Money and sex are two wonderful gifts that God's given us to enjoy. But if you don't rule them, they will rule you. People are ruled by sex and they cross the boundaries of God's laws and they end up in deep hurt, but they persist in doing it. People do the same with God's gift of money. They break the laws, and then they blame the devil. Meanwhile, the devil is in Iraq. No, you have to deal with it. You have to know how to manage your money. And you, you cannot allow it to rule your life, because if you, if you are financially bound, you will not be spiritually free. You can come to church. You'll find it hard to worship. You'll sing songs about God's provision, but in, the, in your heart, you'll, you'll be thinking, no, but it hasn't happened for me. And can I, no, can I say, tithing is not the cure-all. Oh, I'm in debt, I need to tithe. No, no, you need to do many things. Tithing is the number one, but don't leave out the other 10. This is not magic here. Oh, if I tithe, then, ooh, I've had a bad month, I better tithe. No, 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 we're not playing Russian roulette here. We're not playing with some kind of wheel. See, when you're in debt and money has is, is, is got a grip on you, you're bound. You can't be spiritually free. You can't enjoy the Lord. And people spend money on all sorts of nonsense, thinking it's going to make them happy. Can I encourage you? Don't, don't, don't chase after things. Even cars, it's not. We drive a nice car, but it's paid for cash. 
but I'm 65 years old. So when I'm driving down, oh, what are they paying him? No, that shows where your heart is. See, people, people spend more money on their car than they do on buying a house. People spend 15,000 rand a month on a motor car, now they're renting an apartment for 7,000. No. And can I tell you, you buy that Golf R and you'll bring it home and your friends will circle it as though it's a God and you will shine it and shine it and shine it and then when you take it to Durban, they will think you're a God. But guess what? You're married to that thing for 72 months. But in one year's time, they've changed the shape. They put a new spoiler. It comes out in another color. Your mag wheels are last year's. And suddenly you're trying to get out of that marriage. That's the nature of material things. Don't be a fool when you're young. You don't need to own a, it's transport. Come on now. Now seriously, even if, you, even if you've got money, I want to help you here. Even if you've got money, why would you want to walk around with a 250,000 rand watch when, 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 a, when 100 or 200 rand or 500 rand or 1,000 rand one could tell exactly at the same time? No, no, give it to God. Give the money to God or put it in the bond or leave it for your children. But don't spend on nonsense. Use wisdom. Try and get the most for your money. When we go overseas, we, don't, we, we go to all the outlets. And then I look, mm, babe, Michael Kors, nice bag. Let me go online. No, they're lying. This is not cheaper. This is last year's one. <laughs> Who are you trying to impress? You want good quality things that last you, that you get joy out of, but it's not your world. It's not your center. A billionaire called H. Ross Perot was interviewed by Fortune magazine. This is what he said. And he's speaking to all of us, but he says, guys, just remember, if you get real lucky, if you make a lot of money, if you go out and buy a lot of stuff, it's gonna break. You got your biggest, fanciest mansion in the world. It has air conditioning, it has a pool. Just think of all the pumps that are going to go out. Or go to the yacht basin, any place in the world, nobody's smiling. And I'll tell you why, something broke that morning. The generator's out, the microwave doesn't work. Things don't mean happiness. Come on now. And some of you, it's going to take you a long time to learn this. But better you learn it in church than you learn it the hard way. Because managing our money leads to spiritual freedom. And no one who is financially bound can be spiritually free. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10, Solomon's wisdom again. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income, because things can't bring meaning. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. You get fatter, what's saying. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? And guess what? Everything goes out of fashion quickly. I buy the homeowner magazine and the Habitat magazine because I like to keep pace with trends and because we're building church buildings. And you know, you, you'd be amazed how people fickle it used to be a certain tap now all the taps are black and if you haven't got a black tap then you're out of date no no just wait because 10 years time silver taps will be back in <laughs> they try and keep you buying stuff that you don't need to impress people who don't care you can have the very best but guess what someone comes in just it's not their taste you don't impress them your taps can be made of gold I find gold taps revolting no I do 
So you, you think you're going to impress people, but you don't. You just make a fool out of yourself. It's very quiet in this church this morning. <laughs> Number four, our attitude to money is a spiritual matter. Are you receiving something this morning across the campuses? Your attitude to money is a spiritual matter. A money problem is a spiritual problem. You see, what you have to do is you have to de develop character to manage money. That's what Jesus was implying. Otherwise, it will master you, and all you will do with your money is focus on earthly pursuits. People who complain about the church talking about money, asking people to give, are actually spiritually immature. And money is their servant. Sorry, their master, not their servant. Billy Graham said this in speaking about our attitude to money. He said, one of the greatest sins in America today is the fact that we are robbing God of that which rightfully belongs to him. When we don't tithe, we shirk a just debt. Actually, we are not giving when we give God one-tenth, for it belongs to him already. This is a debt we owe. Not until we have given a tenth do we actually begin making an offering to the Lord. But people say, oh, but hang on a minute, tithing's Old Testament. This is what I've discovered, by the way. Whenever you say something's Old Testament, what you mean is we don't have to do it. True? But I've discovered people do that with anything in the Bible. Where did it say Jesus said we mustn't live together? Where did Jesus ever talk about sexuality or gender? Now, that's not the answer. You need to know what the Bible says. Don't look for one word and don't single Jesus out because if you do, you'll be shocked at what Jesus actually said. Jesus endorsed tithing. Now, watch here, Matthew chapter 23. He's speaking to the scribes. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, herbs, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Watch. These ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone. He's saying you must keep tithing, but don't tithe with a duty spirit. Tithe with faith and love and with right judgment. If you tithe, oh, we got to, I became a partner at Rivers, I signed that certificate. No, you need to be doing it with I believe. I believe that this will return as a harvest. I love my church and I love what we're doing. I love the fact that we can touch the poor. When you give your tithe like that, you'll give it gladly. Can you see how money is tied to your spiritual condition? Our attitude to money is always a spiritual matter, not a matter of how much we earn. And we've got to manage our attitude right because if we give out of the law, we will never be happy. Number five. And I've got a few seconds left. How we handle money determines what comes into our lives. You see, Jesus said that if you're not faithful with little, how can you be faithful with much? And if you're not faithful with worldly wealth, who will give you true riches? He's saying that how you're managing your salary currently will determine how much salary you will get in the future. I wonder this morning, how many of us are blocking God blessing us because of what we're currently doing with our money? How we're currently spending our money? He's saying, yeah, if you're faithful, I can give you more. If I can trust you with money, well, then I can trust you with riches. I believe that because Pastor Lillman and I have been faithful with money while we were Christians serving God in business and honoring God, he's trust, entrusted me with thousands of people. He's entrusted us with thousands of people. 
because he knows you won't abuse those people because you didn't abuse money. You didn't, it didn't make it about you. So when I give you thousands of people and I put you on television and you're known around the world, you won't abuse that because faithful with little, faithful with much. Can you see the principle, church? It's not just how hard you work, but it's what you do before the Lord that determines what comes into your life. Could you perhaps be the blockage? No. You see, it's not so simple that it's the devil. It could often be us. I need to come to a close, and as I do this morning, before I hand over to Kai Lomi, is I want to just tell you about a company that is doing incredibly well in America. Many of you have heard of it. It used to be in South Africa. It's called Chick-fil-A. They sell chicken uh, products. It's a fast food company. And uh, they make more revenue per restaurant than McDonald's do and KFC. They only have 2,100 restaurants, and they're not open on Sundays. Isn't that interesting? So they work less. Sunday's a very busy day for making money. Uh, let me tell you how many restaurants. They've got 2,100. McDonald's has got 14,100. KFC has got 4,160. They're talking about America, obviously. And they're all open seven days a week. Yet, the average sales per restaurant in 2016 of Chick-fil-A were 4.4 million. When compared to its fried chicken competitor, KFC, they only made 1.1 million per year. Isn't that interesting? Do you know why? It's not just because they make a better product. They decided to put God first and make money their servant, not their master. Those who've made money their master are not seeing the same profits because you see, money is not just about simple things and, and, and filthy lucre. It's a spiritual component attached to it. And how we manage our money will determine how successful we are, how happy we are, and God's blessing in our lives. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 